Hello and welcome to episode 358 of the Thinking LSAT podcast. I'm Nathan Fox. That's Ben Olson. Together we're the co-founders of LSATdemon.com and the LSAT Demon Daily podcast. You can get LSAT famous by uh, emailing help at thinkinglsat.com to get on a future show. This uh, episode is going to air Monday, July 9th. That means that we've got a couple weeks until the registration deadline for September 2022 LSAT. That's on Tuesday, July 26th. Don't need to make any um, decisions between now and then. Go to lsat.link dates if you want to see all of the dates for all of the upcoming tests. I'd like to invite everybody to my upcoming free shit. I got a free class coming up. Tuesday, sorry, Thursday, July 14th. It's going to be on overcoming test anxiety. Go to lsat.link slash Nathan if you'd like to sign up for that class. All you need is a demon free account. Those are always really good classes, good discussions. I'll make some remarks about uh, tools for test anxiety, and I'll answer uh, as many questions as I have time for in a one hour free class on Zoom. So Again, Thursday, July 14th, uh, 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern, and we'll record it. So if you've got a demon free account, you should be able to see it anyway. Yep. If you can't make it afterward. on time. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, today on the show, it was a uh, it was a mailbag love fest for uh, for the demon, really. Um, we scores came out this week and. When scores come out, we tend to get inundated with emails from people telling us, you know, you changed my life. <laughs> yeah, we like, went up 20 points, 25 points, almost 30 points. Like, that's just becoming yeah. the norm. I'm hoping that it's not obnoxious for people to listen to. I, I'm hoping that people will take some motivation from it. Uh, it is possible to improve your LSAT dramatically. And on today's show, you're going to hear a whole bunch of stories from people who improved a lot using yeah. um, common sense, just simple, intuitive approaches to the test. So I hope you find that motivating. <laughs> I hope so. And one thing we did talk about during all that was, hey, we encounter people all the time who are self-limiting, right? They just, their beliefs are self-limiting. They think, oh, all I can do is go up to the mid 160s or whatever. And it's like, we feel our job is to help you see that you can do better. So if anything, maybe take that away, right? As you listen yeah. to these stories, it's, these aren't, these are great people, but they're not necessarily special or, you know, untouchable. You can follow in their footsteps. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? Like sometimes, you know, your parents, they want the best for you, but your parents don't know the best that's actually possible for you in, in many cases. Yeah, well, they're not experts in certain domains, too, right? <laughs> well, right. No, I mean, th they are definitely not experts in this domain the way we are experts in this domain. And so when you've got your folks like telling you, no, you have to apply to law school right now. You know, they they just they want they want you to achieve. They want you to succeed. They want you to, you know, get keep keep moving toward your goals, which is all great. But they're actually forcing you to go too quickly down this path that if you had taken it a little bit slower, you might have been on a much better path. And that's, I think, the job for half of our audience probably 
whose folks are still like significantly involved in these decisions. Yeah. Um, you, you need to, you need to like sit them down maybe and say, Hey mom, dad, I really appreciate your support, but I'm doing this on a uh, better timeline than mm-hmm. your faster timeline is not better. <laughs> uh, we're, we're going to do this right. Mm-hmm. Cool. You want to dive in? Let's do it. Hi, Nathan and Ben. I hope my story will be story will be encouraging to you guys. Okay. A couple years ago when I was 21, I had to drop out of college because I was pregnant with a baby with severe birth defects. Thankfully, the baby survived, but with the trauma of birth, the horrible hospital stay and major surgery, the loss of my academic progress and the enormous responsibility of caring for a medically complicated child while I was so young, it was easy to feel like my life was over. I ended up coming back to college and graduating before the baby turned one. I had always wanted to go to law school, but when I looked at the study info online, Princeton Review, PowerScore, Reddit, it felt impossible. I remember reading about PowerScore's seven-letter reading comp acronym and hearing about how people methodically memorize the answer choices that correspond to each question type. (laughs) I've never heard of that. That doesn't sound fun. No, she's referring to the uh, the the anal- the analysis that they did that with the table where it's like on reading comp the most common answer twenty two percent of the time is E. Oh, and, and people have memorized bullshit. the answer choices that most likely correspond to different question types. It Jeez was it, in the Power Score book that I yeah. taught when I was a brand new baby LSAT teacher. Yeah. There was a whole page or maybe two pages of like just this, you know, it's like analysis of the previous 20 years worth of tests or whatever. I think that they were like, if you're going to guess, then, you know, it would be better to guess (laughs) E on reading comp. And then it was like. But it sounds like even more specific than that, right? Well, well, because then they the very next thing was. Uh, but this does change on the last five. When we do the same analysis for the last five, then it's now it's not E anymore. Now it's B. And it's like, oh, and, and people are like, you know, furiously scribbling notes as they're. T- and I'm like, hey, man, you want to talk about a thing that matters zero? Like th- I was just like, this is so trivial and a waste of everyone's time. Do not think about this. No, it's not just a waste. It's harmful too, right? Because it's it's mental space. Jeez Louise. Yeah. It's like, uh, yeah, I, I, I was like, <laughs> I was a brand new baby LSAT teacher and I knew it was bullshit. I was like, hey guys, I'm on team D. If I'm guessing, I'm picking D. Yeah. I recommend you just join me on team D and just decide that this is all dumb. Because yeah. what? <laughs> like... One, it's past. It's it can always change in the future. So just because well, and this you've is now true. published it. It's like, just, hey, <laughs> by the way, Elsac, this is what you've been doing. They're like, oh, okay. Well, maybe we'll change it. Uh, yeah, it, to the extent that they would care or notice at all, yeah. that's all they would do is change it to make it the exact opposite of that. <laughs> Surely they don't want their test to be gameable in that way. I mean, yeah. that's like the most ridiculous. Just just ridiculous like total waste of time so 
anyway, yeah, (laughs) that's like that was like sort of a foundation of my career as a, a, uh, you know, I I like I'm like, that's my mission, right, is to like remove the bullshit dogma waste of time from this whole industry. It's like, yeah, wait, they told you what now? Your tutor is telling you to do what? Yeah. I, you know, I had a student in class just the other night, brand new student. Really, it seems like a super hard worker. Yeah. So she's been spending $2,200 a month on private tutoring. She hired some tutor that she meets with for, for four times a week. And she's been doing, writing a $2,200 check every month for four months or six months or something like that. Wow. Making okay. zero progress. And I'm like, well, what's the tutor having you do? Well, I do a full test timed. Then I do that same full test untimed. <laughs> then and I'm like, oh, my God. Well, of course, you haven't been making any progress because you're just completely spinning your wheels. You're redoing work unnecessarily. What are you like? Stop. I'm like, stop. Stop doing that. <laughs> Just whatever this tutor is telling you to do, that ain't it. You haven't yeah. improved for six damn months. Anyway, back to this email from Camille. Camille. Camille continues. I am 23 with a toddler. I couldn't do all of that. Then I stumbled onto your podcast and it was so empowering. It made me realize those other test preparation companies profit off of people's test anxiety by manufacturing complexity. That was a... An interesting sentence. Um, I agree, by the way. They create so much difficulty, then offer to help with the difficulty they created. <laughs> you guys helped me cut out all the chatter and simply focus on reading the words on the page. I didn't have the space in my life to obsess over question types, diagrams, timing, acronyms, and hacks. But I could read. I could understand. Today, I got my score back. A 178. Holy shit. That is a high score. I cannot thank you guys enough. Camille. Wow. Uh, I emailed Camille back as a follow up. And I because I I didn't see her um, in the demon student core. Sure. And she's not. She made her 178 solely by listening to the podcasts and uh, just practicing tests and reviewing them. Wow. Nice work. <laughs> I mean, that's so impressive. Yeah, well, it's, awesome. it's just it's just the truth about this test. It it makes perfect sense. You have yep. to make sense of it. So, like, that's our our job is to try to help you just realize that no, it it makes sense. You have to read it carefully, and you have to practice mm-hmm. a bit, and you, yeah, you got to learn kind of what you know the nature of what they're asking you, I suppose. But you're not you're not going to get that from acronyms, <laughs> and. You're certainly not going to get it from tips about timing and I don't know. Just isn't it funny? She says, I didn't have the space in my life to obsess over these things. Mm -hmm. But it's like, well, also, Camille, you apparently didn't have space in your brain to obsess over these things because what your brain should have been doing is reading it carefully, figuring out what it says, Mm -hmm. you know, and predicting slash finding the one answer that answers the question 
Yeah. It's fairly straightforward when we get yeah. down to the root of it. Yeah. Anyway, that's success story number one. I, I we it was score release date uh, or score release just this last week, and uh, <laughs> I don't know about you, Ben, but I was inundated mm-hmm. with uh, <laughs> with emails that sound a lot like this one from Beth. Um, hey, Ben and Nathan, maybe I should have a tad more shame about this. But I have daydreamed of the day I'd get to send this email and say a huge thank you to you both. I just got a 172 back on the June LSAT yesterday. My diagnostic was a 147. Holy cow. So I have an official 25 point increase on record. I've been studying with the demon since December. So it's taken me about six months while working full time. I found the demon through the Thinking LSAT podcast when I was about to apply to school with a 154 on record. In December of 2021. Holy cow. Such a different situation. (laughs) (laughs) I had no idea I could improve this much. And I had no idea I could go to law school without taking on a lifetime of debt. Especially because I want to do that bleeding heart lawyer stuff and don't plan to make a ton of money doing it. Hmm. It's such a relief and I'm so grateful because you've given me the tools to start this journey in a non-disastrous way. Oh yeah, and I'm not done yet. I just signed up for the August test because my average over my last five practice tests is actually a 174 and my highest is a 178. So I am proud of a 172, but I'm still hungry for a higher score because I know I can do it. Thanks again. Two exclamation points. Beth. Yeah, that (laughs) Beth, you you understand this game exactly the way it's being played and you know how to play it. That's the type of email there that makes me feel like we're, you know, actually really helping people. Mm -hmm. (laughs) She was going to apply to law school with a 154. Now she has a 172 on record and is going to try for more. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's uh, I don't know. Good job, Ben. We, We you know, we we've been very like lucky. We were very fortunate to to have found this space and to be able to do what we do. Yeah. Thank you, Beth. Um, I don't think you should have any shame at all about (laughs) dreaming of the day that you can send us that email because it is, I mean, it's just the most rewarding thing that happens in my professional life. I'm I'm feeling a little dense right now. What what is the shame in reference to? Maybe I should oh, have because a tad she's, more shame about that. She I has think a great because, score. Or? No, no, because she's sitting around fantasizing about emailing a couple of podcasters, a couple of LSAT teachers, <laughs> to 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 thank them for for helping her achieve this score, which she finally did achieve. Hmm. Yeah. Still don't see the shame in that, but maybe that's because no. we get emails all the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. You want to take this one from Lily? Yeah. Hi, Ben and Nathan. I wanted to thank you both for the demon and for your non-gimmicky way of approaching the test. Now, this is going to be a great podcast, isn't it? We're going to get yes, all these. Yes, it is. Like, this is do we have any negative excellent... ones in here? We have to go nope. search out those like <laughs> negative reviews, those one-star uh, reviews. <laughs> uh, shit. If they came in, I would put them on the agenda. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah, Lily continues. My diagnostic was a 144. I found out today I got a 171 on my first official LSAT or official test. It took about six months of hardcore studying. I'm going to retake in August. My highest practice tests are around 173 to 175. 
So I want to see if I can eke out a few more points. I got a 4.0 UP UGPA undergraduate GPA, and I want to be as competitive as possible for top schools. Wow, way to go. A 4.0, a higher LSAT score in the future, possibly. This is great, Lily. If you read this on the podcast, I just want everyone to know your methods work, exclamation point. Y'all are the real deal. Thank you for transforming my score. Okay. We got one here from Zach. Ben and Nathan, I just wanted to send you a quick thank you note, exclamation point. I've been a Demon Basics subscriber since December, and I just got my June LSAT back. I went from a 158 diagnostic to a 172, exclamation point. Coupled with my 4.0 GPA, I'm confident that I have a fighting chance to get a full ride at some of the best schools in the nation. And that is in large part thanks to you guys, exclamation point. That's the third exclamation point from Zach. <laughs> I appreciate all that you do from your podcast to the demon, and I will continue to tell all my pre-law friends about your service. I also accidentally forgot to unsubscribe from the demon last week when my subscription renewed, but I can't think of any better service to give an extra month of subscription money to. Smiley face. Best, Zach. <laughs> I appreciate that, Zach. That's very nice of you, but your accidental uh, mistake can be remedied. So email help at lsatdemon.com. Yeah, we, we're we not trying to make money off people by accident, Zach, but uh, congratulations. I, why only a 14-point improvement, Zach? You're slacking compared to Lily and Beth and Camille. <laughs> yeah, thanks for the email, but... Uh, you, I, I would encourage Zach to get greedy. I mean, I if that too. really was a know. 158 diagnostic, I wouldn't stop at a 172. That's a high diagnostic. You you probably, you have a 4.0 GPA. You have the horsepower to keep going. And you're not above the 75th percentile for some schools. So there are, you know, there are things to be gained. Yeah, if you want to go join Carl and Ruth at Yale, 172 probably, probably ain't it. Yeah. So, you know, five more points, Zach, if you want to get into the actual top law school in the nation. Yeah. And, you, and you, uh, you can and you can succeed there. So, yeah. Yeah, you could do it, Zach. You could cut it there. Yeah. So, you know, why, why not go for it? You still got your subscription. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. keep studying. Use that month. All right. Uh, <laughs> this cool. was from uh, Jimmy M. You got it? Yep. Hi, Ben and Nathan. I want to thank you for everything you did to help me build the law school application I always dreamed of having. I took the June LSAT and received my final score, colon, 169. Unfortunately, one point away from an LSAT demon job offer. Well, <laughs> the 170-something is a necessary condition, not a sufficient condition. Yeah, yeah. So, but uh, I understand what you're saying. Okay. My diagnostic was 152. And after taking the April official LSAT, I was rather ashamed to receive a 161. After all, I have a 3.89 UGPA and knew that I was capable of more. I wanted a shot at the big name schools. Though I had been prepping with the demon since February, okay, I found myself lacking the necessary confidence and stamina to achieve perfect section scores. You know, Jimmy, one thing there is maybe shooting for perfection is actually holding you back. Anyways, we'll see what else you have to say here. But 
After, after discovering your podcast and hearing your blunt assertions, I felt rejuvenated and more ambitious. Weeks later, I found myself scoring perfectly on sections and reaching into the higher 160s on practice tests. More specifically, I noticed that my reading comp, my worst section for a long time, became much stronger by simply taking a deep breath and affirming my abilities. In fact, I found episode 333 particularly useful, often reminding myself of mantras such as slow is smooth, smooth is fast. Though the phrase wouldn't stand a chance in a logical reasoning section, it does work as a catchy tool for students who struggle to slow down and play Pay careful attention when the clock is running. I know you appreciate concise writing, so I tried to keep this somewhat brief. Okay, cut that sentence. Thank you so much for everything you do. I will truly miss studying with the demon, colon, or semicolon. It made LSAT prep fun, exclamation point. You guys are an inspiration not only in my LSAT journey, but also as entrepreneurs in a field of boring, obnoxious, cookie-cutter bullshit. I recommend the demon to everyone I know and shake my head at those who do not listen. I feel like there's still room on the table here, Jimmy, to go higher. 169 is great, but you had a diagnostic of 152. I don't I can't tell whether Jimmy's gonna try again or if Jimmy's done. Get greedy, everybody. Get greedy. Yep. Like you there's only upside in it. If you take it again and get one or two more points, that might be the difference. Or it, you know, it might be ten or twenty thousand dollars more scholarship money. You know, those one or two point one or two more points might not make a big difference once you're above the 75th percentile for all schools, but not at 169. At 169, every point is a notch up in schools. Yeah, I mean, is 169 even the median? It's not the median probably anywhere in the top 14, I would imagine. No, I think they're more around 172, 173. So, you know, depending on what Jimmy's or goal is, yeah, some local school, 3.89 and a 170, 169, he might already be blowing that school out of the water and he knows he's going to go to that school. Yeah. Sometimes people so. have military money that they're going to spend or something. But otherwise, sometimes people are sort of like... Uh, it's not fumbling at the goal line, but it's like um, running out of bounds to stop the clock, <laughs> you know, at the goal line. Sure. Instead of just pushing ahead and just scoring the game winning touchdown. I don't know. Yeah. What, what do you think about this sentence, too? Not to, to beat you up too much, Jimmy, but you're like, I found this phrase, slow is smooth and smooth is fast, helpful for reading comp. But you said, though, the phrase wouldn't stand a chance in a logical reasoning section. I don't understand what Jimmy's saying there. Well, you could figure it out. If you had to attack that, you're going to call bullshit on that. What are you going to say? I mean, I'm doing the exact same thing in reading comp. Slow is smooth and smooth is fast. Or I mean, in logical reasoning. I think he means as a... As a grand aphorism or as a as a like overarching truth, if that's what we're saying, would you would you agree that slow is always smooth? Would you agree that smooth is always fast? If you take it as we intend it, yes. 
Oh, <laughs> right. like, yeah. Well, yeah, right. I see what you're yes. saying. So it, it applies in, in the as context a logical reasoning question. It. I was reading yes. this as he's saying it doesn't apply. He like applied it to reading comp, but didn't apply it to logical reasoning. I'm no, like, no, no, no. What? Oh, if, oh, no. oh, if I this were it. an argument that we were yes. tasked with attacking on logical reasoning. Okay, I'm an idiot. That makes total sense, and I agree with you, Jimmy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we would come it up would with totally fail. Yeah, counter well, arguments to this. Literally, right? like, like <laughs> it's it's inherently contradictory, right? Slow is smooth, smooth is fast. Yeah, <laughs> true. Yeah, there's that. I mean, there's also like a million counter arguments where you you need a like violent action in order to be actually fast, yeah. right? I mean, like <laughs> you're do slowly the, I mean, aiming, and now the Velociraptor has taking your head off too yeah. late yeah this applies to golf pretty well like mm-hmm. we, we try to get people to, to to slow down and take like a little bit shorter swing maybe they end up having more club head speed or delivering more of that club head speed to the ball mm. but like in baseball those dudes are up there hacking i mean they're like swinging as hard as they possibly can mm-hmm. and so <laughs> it ain't it's not always slow and smooth and sure. smooth as fast but yeah yeah. In the context of the LSAT, yeah, you slow down a little bit on the games. You try to make a smooth diagram for your logic game. Yep. You make one more connection that you wouldn't have made if you were trying to go fast. Yeah. And next thing you know, you actually go fast because of that robust diagram that you calmly, slowly, smoothly developed. So it it works on all areas of the LSAT. Yeah, that's for sure. Yes. Thanks. Thanks for writing in, Jimmy. Thanks, Jimmy. Take it again, please. That's my yeah, one get request. Greedy. Uh, all right. Here's Ryan says, yep. Dear Ben and Nathan, I scored a 174 on the June 22, uh, 2022 LSAT. You guys have changed my life. After studying full time for two months, I scored a 163 on the October 2021 exam. This was well below my practice test average and my goal score. I used the 1,395 yikes dollars power score course and learned all their tricks and gimmicks. These tactics were useless under the pressure of the actual exam. Instead of actually understanding what I was reading, I was diagramming every conditional statement in logical reasoning, recalling the weird reading comp acronym, classifying the games on logic games, etc. I applied to 19 Sorry, schools that, last. That RC acronym has come up twice. It's, <laughs> right, it's yeah. a really odd thing. Okay. Yeah. And it's just luck of the draw that power score is getting dunked on today. Yeah. Um, it's not <laughs> like they're anything special, you know, special, especially bad. In bad, fact, I would, yeah. they're way better than, you know, Kaplan, Princeton, but. Absolutely. Yeah. I applied to 19 schools last cycle and received 15 rejections, one wait list and three acceptances in the t- top 50 with small scholarships. Yeah, that's a bad cycle. That's a don't go this cycle. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't want to be going to T50 schools with small scholarships. Nope, 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 nope. Those schools are supposed to be the free ones. Yeah. I began studying again around February after my last rejection. I started with a demon free account and quickly upgraded to premium. That's the middle level of subscription. Uh, World's best, mostly self-study tool. I studied about an hour a day. Sorry, I studied an hour a day for about five months with a practice test on the weekends. I drank the LSAT demon Kool-Aid and loved it. 
I would listen to the daily podcast during breakfast and the Thinking LSAT podcast during workouts. Drilling became fun and addictive. Sorry, I'm mildly laughing because sometimes I listen to podcasts while I'm working out and then I'm like too focused on my reps and I have no idea what was said. So I do that hiking even and I just like completely space out. Yeah, on the, I did that yesterday. I was like not listening to my podcast at all. I obsessed over my mistakes, though, says Ryan, and loved patching the holes in my game. Today, I received my 174. You guys changed my life and I cannot be more grateful. Given the opportunity, I would be proud to join the demon team as a tutor. Sincerely, Ryan, 152 Diagnostic 3.78 UGPA. P.S. I am the student that was shouted out on episode 349, timestamp 10256 of the Thinking LSAT podcast from an email by my girlfriend. Remember that? Yeah. Your message meant so much to me. Ah, what a great girlfriend. (laughs) That was a great girlfriend. She emailed the show on Ryan's behalf and said, hey, can I shout out my boyfriend on your show? He would be thrilled. And apparently he was. And he, wow, made a huge improvement. And now is applying for a position here. That's that's your domain. Yeah. <laughs> Ready to handle this one from Griffin? Yeah. Oh, it's short. It Hi, is. Ben and Nathan. I just wanted to say thank you. After a diagnostic score of 146, I just got my official score of 167 from the June test. Staying greedy and taking it again in August because I don't I didn't even finish the fourth game in June. Best, Griffin. Wow. <laughs> uh, Griffin really got the keep it short message from us. Thank you. That's nice. Yeah. Um, boy, that's a 23 point improvement and still doesn't even have games perfect. Yeah. But well, Griffin knows that if he can get games perfect, he should be solidly into the 170s, knocking on the door of a 30 point improvement. Amazing. Cool. Good job, Griffin. Okay. This one's a little bit longer and it has an accompanying spreadsheet oh. if we want to look at it. Okay. This is more of a cycle uh, thing. Okay. Full. The subject was full cycle recap from your 2021 super fan. So this is coming from Palmer. Okay. Who I believe blew the field away last year on the um, Spotify wrapped number of hours listening to thinking LSAT. Really? Okay. So this is what happens to you if you (laughs) listen to thousands, literally thousands of hours of our show (laughs) Um, might not necessarily be good, but okay, let's find out. (laughs) Wait, was it really thousands of hours? It wasn't literally thousands of hours. Was it? Uh, There aren't a thousand hours of the podcast. Not yet. There's 300 and some odd, right? Times. And they're more than an hour each. So maybe like 500 500. hours. Yeah. Yeah. We could re-listen. Anyway, here's Palmer. You might remember me as the super fan. Oh, it was minutes. That's what it was. <laughs> the super fan who listened to over 11,000 minutes of the Thinking LSAT podcast last year. I wanted to give you a complete recap of my cycle now that it's almost over. My applications were all submitted by October 2nd, 2021. I applied to 19 of the top 20 schools, not Yale, and applied to a couple of a couple part-time programs, GPA 3.76, LSAT 173. Uh, those are not probably Yale numbers. Mm-hmm. So it does seem to make sense that um, Palmer did not apply to Yale. Yep. 
Softs, uh, Palmer is a STEM major, three years of work experience, ooh, and a registered patent agent, mm. which is an awful nice feather in your cap because law schools know that you can work as a patent agent during law school. And it's like sort of a shoe in for jobs. Yeah. Palmer says, I'll be attending Duke this fall with a half tuition scholarship pending some sort of miracle decision from NYU or U Chicago. My total out-of-pocket cost will be about $165,000 over all three years. I attached my or shared my Google Doc with my cycle recap, my scholarship offers from each school, and the date a decision was made. So lots of um, data for us here. I mean, it's only one applicant, but this is useful. Thank you, Palmer. Okay. To answer some of the questions I'm sure you'll have. First, why not take another year and try for a higher LSAT score? Palmer says, 173 was an excellent score for me and the result of multiple retakes, nine months of consistent studying and a tremendous amount of luck on test day. I think my GPA 3.76, not my LSAT, is what held me back most. Running my numbers through the estimator showed that I performed about as well as a, at a 177 with a similar GPA. For me, the greatest cost is not the money, but the three years, which I would be spending no matter my LSAT score. What's an extra $20,000 a year on tuition when I'll be making $220,000 a year coming out the other side? I mean, assuming you do that, but yeah, okay. Hey, but you know, Palmer, if anybody can credibly say I will be making $220,000 coming out the other side, it would be someone with a STEM background and already a registered patent agent like Palmer can probably name the firms that are going to hire him out of Duke. Yeah. So he, he has a very specific plan. Yeah. He's paying half tuition, which we don't approve of generally, but you know, he's paying $20,000 a year on tuition, which at a school like Duke is you know, arguably like the what, actual cost, <laughs> what the it's actual worth. Value. Yeah. 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 But he's a, He's at least not funding everybody else's scholarships at the school. No, he's in the middle. Yep. You know, like <laughs> don't pay for law school. Well, Palmer's paying law for law school for himself. He's mm -hmm. at least not paying for law school for himself and one other person, which is what you're doing if you pay full price. Yeah. Um, anyway, did you negotiate your scholarship at Duke? We ask. Palmer says, I did. Exclamation point. And I was awarded an additional $15,000 total. After sending a thoughtful ask email, attending their admitted students day and showing them my offers from other schools. I even went back a second time to ask for more, but they told me they offered everything they could. <laughs> $15,000, not bad for just like asking, you know, an email. Yep. You That's could, nice. uh, you could ask one more time. You could be like Andy Dufresne. Do you know who Andy Dufresne has been? No. Have you seen the movie Shawshank Redemption? I have. It's been a long time, though. In Shawshank, uh, Andy, uh, he was an unjustly imprisoned guy yeah. and uh, main character played by Tim Robbins. Mm. And he uh, tried to get a prison library started. Mm. And he wrote an email or not an email. He wrote a letter <laughs> every week asking for funding. And he and he did it like every week. For like five years or something and yeah. then finally got a check and the letter was like please stop 
your letters now. <laughs> <laughs> and so what did Andy do? He started writing two letters a week <laughs> to the same people. <laughs> so you could, you could, you could do that. Palmer. Anyway, um, why Duke? We ask. Palmer says, in the end, I was picking between Duke, Michigan, and Wash U. My decision came down to a combination of prestige, location, cost of living, and employment outcomes. I wanted to get out of the Midwest, so Duke ticked every box. And as an added bonus, Above the Law ranked them number one. Hmm. I am looking at their, sorry, really quick. I am looking at their employment outcomes on lawschooltransparency.com forward slash schools forward slash Duke. And it says that 65.7% of their graduates in 2021 were placed in national law firms and 11.2% were placed in federal, federal clerkships. So we're looking at, you know, 76, 77% of their class going to pretty prestigious jobs. You have a high chance of succeeding. Yeah. And we can probably, you know, we can presume that the, so that was 77% big law plus federal clerkship. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, you know, the 23% remaining, some of them didn't want to do that. Some of them wanted to choose other things. Absolutely. Um, yeah. I mean, there's public service, which is nine point. That's 10 percent uh, uh, of that. So, I mean, even this email right from Palmer and all this thought, it's like, OK, you're going in your pain, but you're going in with your eyes pretty wide open. I think you start to to earn the option to rebut the presumption of don't pay for law school. Yeah. I'm looking at uh, the spreadsheet here. Yeah, Wash U offered him damn near full ride. Hmm. So that makes sense that that would have been his next. You know, at Wash U, he's he's going to pay them seventy seven hundred a year. Mm -hmm. At Duke, yeah, he's paying thirty four thousand a year. Just trying to see if any of these other offers really jump out at me. Yeah. I mean, the best full ride that he had, he, he didn't offer, he didn't apply to very, he applied to like the 19 out of the top 20 plus a couple others, G, GW and uh, Chicago Kent. Both of those were part-time programs that he applied to. Hmm. Interesting. He could have gone to Chicago Kent part-time for totally for free. Yeah. Turning that down. But I mean, hey, he knows more about it than we do, really. Like, I'm sure he knows more about Duke than we know about Duke. So he uh, he made the choice that makes sense for him. And I, I can't disagree with that. Yeah. Yep. Palmer continues. Thanks for all your podcasts over the years and praise the demon. None of this would have been possible without you. In the past, you guys mentioned going over a full application, resume, personal statement, etc., in combination with the decision outcomes, if you're still interested, I'd be happy to send over redacted versions of my application materials. Hopefully my super fan status earns me just a little more airtime on the show. All the best, Palmer. Thanks so much, Palmer. Anything else yeah. you want to say about no. any of that? No. Nice that work. That could be a good personal statement to take a look at. Yeah. We don't do many of those on the show anymore, but now that we know what Palmer's actual outcomes were, Taking a look at a personal statement could be kind of cool. Yeah, it could be. I like, by the way, in Palmer's 
uh, Google sheet here, he's got cost of attendance. So even for Chicago Kent, the part-time program, right, that he got a full tuition scholarship for, so tuition owed after scholarship is zero. He's got his cost of attendance, right, which is 68000 uh, per year, I guess, and then or out of pocket per year. I guess I'm not totally following this, but the point is, is that <laughs> he's really looking at all these costs, right? And really making a decision about law school period. Cause it's not just about which school am I going to go here, but am I actually going to do this? And, uh, you got to understand what your costs are going to be and what your likely benefits are going to be. And Palmer is aware of that. Yeah. It's, it's certainly not just tuition. Um, it, it is also cost of living while you're there and the time. I'm mm-hmm. noticing in, in column M here on Palmer's spreadsheet, Ben, yeah. he's got Chicago Kent. He's multiplying the, the previous column by four because it's a part-time program. So he'd mm. have to be in it for four mm-hmm. years. Yep. Same with uh, the GW offer. So he's looking at, um, well, anyway, he's doing uh, a nice bit of analysis here to uh, figure out the best plan for him. And that's ultimately what you got to do. Yeah. Oh, I see what's going on with his his cost of attendance. He's getting that from the schools. So he took the cost of attendance and then he subtracted his tuition scholarship to figure out his estimated out-of-pocket expenses. That's an easy way to do it. Look at their yeah. numbers. Then you can kind of guess what it would cost you to live there. Sensible. Cool. Yep. Thank you, Palmer. Okay, so you put this onto the agenda. This came to us from Matt. Uh, Matt Dumont sent this along to us from Washington Post. This is not about law school admissions now. This is about undergrad stuff, right? It is about undergrad, but they did quote um, Dean Driver, who was the dean at Penn Law School. So anyways, this was in the Washington Post. The article is Columbia to skip U.S. news rankings after professor questioned data. So a tenured professor presumably (laughs) questioned the data a, a few months ago. I don't remember. Maybe it was last year at some point. But and it did make headlines and the professor was basically saying, hey, uh, the data that Columbia is reporting to the U.S. News and World Report ranking system doesn't seem accurate. For example, I think Columbia had said that like 80 percent of its classes only had 20 students or fewer per teacher. And the professor was like, that doesn't seem right. And then just started running some numbers and that seemed turned out to be wrong as far as the professor could tell. <laughs> Were they just making up numbers to <laughs> tell U.S. News whatever they wanted to hear? Yeah, seriously. Well, I mean, that's what it looks like, right? And so then Columbia missed the deadline to submit this year's numbers to – this is the undergrad – missed this year's deadline to submit its numbers to U.S. News ranking. And it's you know stated – Reason was, hey, we want to make sure everything's accurate. We take these, you know, essentially accusations very seriously, and we want to make sure everything is correct and right. Um, But anyways, yeah, they are not going to be in the rankings this year, at least the undergrad. And this part of the article I just wanted to share. So Colin Diver, who recently wrote a book about the rankings industry, its impact on institutions and what to do about it, noted that rankings create powerful incentives to manipulate data and to distort institutional behavior. Diver said that when he was dean of the highly competitive University of Pennsylvania Cary Law School, 
he saw the influence of rankings on admissions decisions, giving an edge to applicants with higher standardized test scores. Then he became president of well-regarded liberal arts school, Reed College, that has declined to submit information for rankings since the 1990s. It was a relief, he said, but he heard from friends at other schools who admired the stance but feared they'd get hammered in the rankings if they did the same. Reed dropped precipitously after stopping submitting data. So, <laughs> you know, I this is a dean who's like feeling the pressure, right? Yeah. We've every we, we say this a million times that the schools care a lot about this because of the rankings. And it's like, okay, here's someone on record saying, yeah, we cared about the rankings. It was stress inducing to the point that he felt relieved once he left, but not surprisingly, the consequences of that were that Reed dropped precipitously in the rankings. So, you know, yeah, this is, if you don't believe us, here's someone else saying these numbers matter. I wonder if he's close to getting fired at Reed. I mean, I'm sure there are people who are calling for his head, right? It's like, hey, this guy, Dean Diver, soon as he came in, our ranking in U.S. News plummeted. Oh, wait, wait, hold on. So Reed has has not been submitting data since the 1990s. So he, I know. He, oh, oh, so he's still there at Reed. Yes. So no, no, he didn't do this. <laughs> he he. So he was at Penn, right? And then he oh, went to Reed. And he Reed went has to been, Reed. Reed had previously decided to stop. Yes. So he's not gonna get. He's, he's it's not, not his fault, block. right? No, no, he's just continuing what has been done for years. I see. And it's a relief to be there. But um, the consequence of that for Reed was that long ago, it's <laughs> rating dropped. So all the deans have to agree to do it at their school. Yep. The rankings drop. They all get fired. And then they just go to work at the other schools. And then everybody <laughs> goes, Phew, wow, yeah. glad we got that fast. <laughs> Although if everyone does it right, rankings wouldn't really drop relatively. <laughs> if everyone said fuck off to U.S. News, then yep. U.S. News would not be able to do their rankings the way they do them. I mean, yeah. I, they would probably still do rankings without that data from the schools. Yeah. But, you know, <laughs> yeah, who knows? Next one. Yeah. All right. This one's coming from Armand. This came in through uh, the Thinking LSAT website. Says, hi there. Hope you both are doing well. I've been using LSAT Demon for about two weeks and have loved it so far. Okay, so brand new Demon student. Let's see what he thinks. Okay. Recently, I have noticed an odd trend in my scores that I wanted to ask about. Uh Uh-oh. (laughs) A trend after two weeks? Okay. I know. It's like... Yeah, as soon as I any time, all really when anybody talks about trends, they're always looking at too short of data, like always, and <laughs> too short of data and too big of a picture. Like we, it's just like what? yeah, grand conclusions off of limited data, and I, I'm I just never am compelled by these arguments. But over the past few weeks, Armand says I have been consistently scoring in the low mid, low to mid one sixties. I just took a class. Of, I, I just taught a class about this. Yeah. I don't think it was my most effective class. I don't think I actually got through to very many people. I mm. was trying to explain it, but explaining randomness, people don't want to hear it. They don't mm. they don't like it. They don't they don't understand it. I keep telling people I'm like, you know, that first 160 might have been at the top of your range. You might have got lucky. 
Like your score, yeah. your, your ability, does it, I'm like, you know, here's the, here's the like Socratic, you know, do you feel like you're improving? Yes. Mm, do you yeah. feel like you're understanding the test better? Yes. So, okay. I think we can agree that your skills are improving. Yes. Okay. So <laughs> the first time you ever scored 160, would you agree that that was probably at the top of your range at the time? Yes. Okay. So then if you kept scoring 160s, would you agree that that's probably like more in the middle of your range now? Yes. <laughs> and then I'm trying to paint this picture of the range continues to go up. Yeah. Well, then can you agree that the the most recent 160 that you got was probably a little bit unlucky? Like it's probably more at the bottom of your range. Yeah. Given the fact that you feel like you're improving, given the fact that you feel like you understand it better now. <laughs> and I was trying to explain to them that it is possible to have a plateau that is solely the result of just random variance within your range. Yeah. But it's, a you know, it's an argument that takes more than five seconds to develop. And therefore, you just people just lo lose <laughs> lose interest i don't know i don't know why i can't people can i can't convince people of this but well you know it reminds me of when people score drop significantly and they come and they're talking to me and they're like i like how what do i make of this like what does this mean am i regressing and it's like hold up hold up hold up please <laughs> like did you go through each question you miss and start unpacking what happened there like how many of those we're just stupid and now you look at them and you're like, yeah, that makes total sense. Well, then are you actually like that bad at the test or were you just not doing what you should have been doing in the moment? Like there's this, this sense that the score is a reflection of their inherent current abilities and that's fixed and set. And it's like, no, but you just looked at that question. You got wrong. Yeah, you got it wrong. So now your score is dropped, but do you understand it? Yeah, no, it makes total sense. I was thinking about something else. Well, then why are you reading so much into it? Yeah. I mean, people just don't understand randomness like at all. Mm -hmm. you, you, you could take a I mean, you could ask them, hey, you, have, you got a quarter. Give me the quarter. And, you know, if you flip that quarter 10 times, inevitably, it's going to come up more one side than the other side. Mm -hmm. And. It, it's it's shocking how frequently people will then start to say, oh, so, you know, maybe it's biased after all. <laughs> it's like, what? Are yeah. you kidding me? No, it's a fair coin. Like, what are the odds that the next one is going to be heads? And if you don't say 50 percent, you don't understand randomness. Yeah. OK. Armand says I've been consistently scoring in the low mid 160s for the past few weeks, which is not. Long enough to declare any type of plateau. Two weeks. I take, yeah, I take time sections every day and typically do one to two full length exams per week. Uh, I think we've spotted one of your problems, Armand. Yeah. Go ahead, Ben. Yeah, it's just, it's tests are fine, but they're not the most effective way to study because you then have to review everything afterward. You're doing too much. You should do, you should do full sections and drilling. Yeah. Armand says, I prefer doing the full section over drills 
because it annoys me when I see questions I have already done during sections and exams. Ha ha. If you keep all your studying in LSAT Demon, that would not be a problem. Of course, Armand did previous studying before he got to us, so there's nothing we could do about stuff you've done before getting to us. Yeah. You could go into your Demon settings and omit those tests from the drilling if yep. you know which ones you've done. Yep. Uh, and then you could drill instead of doing sections and especially instead of full tests. One to two full tests a week is way too much for somebody in the low 160s. Absolutely. Armand says, anyways, out of nowhere, I jumped from the low 160s and got a 170 on a full length test. That's not even surprising in the slightest. That's not. And he's made he's out of nowhere. It's like it's not out of nowhere, dude. You're in the low 160s, low mid 160s. Yeah. Getting a 170. That's just a number that's totally within your range. Yep. I took another few another full length test a full a few days later and scored in the high 160s. I'm not complaining about the progress, but I had expected to see a gradual increase rather than a big jump. Are these big jumps atypical? I know it really doesn't matter as long as I actually score well on my official test in August, but I was just curious and thought I would write in. Cheers, Armand. Well, first of all, welcome to the team. I'm glad you're with the demon. Yeah. I'm glad you're studying. I'm glad you're asking questions. I would do more time sections and more drilling uh, to continue making progress. And yeah, these jumps happen. You're also going to see drops. Don't don't think too much about it. Think about the questions you did and whether or not you understand them so that you're more ready for the questions that are coming. It would be surprising if you didn't see jumps or drops. <laughs> yeah. Right. If, yeah. if, if there were no jumps and there were no drops, that would be really surprising. If you consistently improved by, you know, one point per week. <laughs> you know, that's funny you say that because uh, there was this guy, Evan. Uh, this is like 10, 12 years ago. We had a test, you know, practice test in person every week. And he went up one point for like something like 12 or 14 tests in a row. It actually <laughs> got it got anxiety inducing because he was like, look at this. Look at this. Like I just I got a 154 and then I got a 155 and then I got a 156. And then it was like. <laughs> this expectation, right? He's like, Oh geez. I was like, yeah, man, I don't know what's, that's weird. That looks, that looks like <laughs> something's right. wrong. And, <laughs> and that's actually, yeah. And it's weird enough that you remember the guy's name 10 years later yeah. after yeah. thousands <laughs> of other students. So, yeah. you know, the pinging up and down is far more the norm. Mm -hmm. um, this isn't surprising at all. And as you know, as far as like big improvement, I mean, that's not even that huge of an improvement. I'm I'm not I'm not surprised at all that you like in two weeks made it from the low 160s to the high 160s. I mean, yeah, that's the type of improvement we're hoping for for yep. everybody. So thanks for writing in, Armand. Welcome. See you. Yeah. See you in class. I, I really would caution people not to decide what test they're taking until they know what their true ability is. People schedule these tests, then start studying. I hate it. I mean, I'm fine with you keeping the option open, but seeing it as an option rather as the plan. Right? Yeah. Like, the, you know, 
my he's calling it my official test. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, dude, law schools only care about your highest score. You have maybe five chances at this thing. Why force it in? You know, like yeah. you might be capable of a 175. We don't know yet. We're just meeting you. We don't know what your upside is. Do you discover this, Ben? My my upside for the students is way higher than their own upside for themselves. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm always like, what? Huh? You're shooting for 164? Yeah. What? Why? Well, ha- you have to get a 164 by August. What? What are you doing? <laughs> yeah. What if you could get a 174 by the end of the year? Yeah. I mean, huh? That's an entirely different applicant. Yep. Don't you want that for yourself? Don't you want to be on that trajectory for your legal career? Yeah. Oh, you got to convince people to see themselves differently. Yeah. All right. You want to read this one from Molly? Molly says, hi, Ben and Nathan. I've been listening to both Thinking LSAT and LSAT Demon Daily for a few months now and recently started studying with the demon. I'm writing in because I appreciate your willingness to provide honest feedback and advice. Before studying with the demon, I utilized, utilized, well, don't use utilized. (laughs) (laughs) I used, uh, or I read, Mike Kim's The LSAT Trainer. My diagnostic score was a 154. Okay, that's solid. Nice work. And after several weeks of studying, my score went up a measly two points. Okay, I wouldn't worry too much about that. While I did feel this, his book provided a strong foundation for my LSAT journey, my lack in progress pushed me to start studying with the demon instead. I have signed up to take the August LSAT. I want to know if you think a score in the 160s is att- attainable by then. Okay, you were literally just talking about this. You got a 154, Molly. You should be expecting yourself in to, to get into the 170s. Maybe you won't, but you should see that as a very reasonable uh, possibility. Molly continues, I have a 4.0 GPA and I'm only interested in applying to schools that I could attend at a very low cost or hopefully for free. Um, I'm planning on applying this cycle, which I am sure you'll discourage. But if I do not receive the scholarship level I am aiming for, I will reapply next fall. Thank you for your help, Molly. Molly, don't do this. What you're doing is you're going to the grocery store, you're buying the chocolate ice cream, and you're saying, I won't eat it unless I'm really, really good and I work out and I do all this stuff I'm supposed to do. You're going to eat it. Nine o'clock is going to come around and you're just going to take it out of the freezer (laughs) and you're going to eat it. (laughs) Yeah. You're going to get a scholar, you're going to get a scammer ship and you're going to say, oh, it's not so bad. And you're going to take it. And you shouldn't have even given yourself the temptation in the first place. I love that metaphor, Ben. That is totally perfect. <laughs> yeah, unless you got more willpower than I do, you're going to eat all of that leftover pizza that you shouldn't have gotten in the first place. You know, but you got pizza because your friend was in town. Then <laughs> you kept it all in the fridge. And then you ate it like for breakfast immediately the day they mm-hmm. left. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The, that is a fantastic, perfect analogy for why you shouldn't apply with less than perfect. Some people, maybe, maybe you have the willpower. Maybe you're one of those people. You can just live in a house full of junk food. But what's the point? Why waste the time? Yeah. 
then look, yeah, there's many arguments that can be made uh, for like, sure. So if, if Molly came to you and Molly is coming to us right now and was like, yeah. Hey, I have a 154 and a 4.0, that alone is like, okay, great. I expect you to get into the 170s. And Molly's already like, Oh, do you think I can get to one in the 160s? Not even high 160s. Forget everything you learned from the LSAT trainer. It's muddying up the works. Yeah. The test is more intuitive than all of that. Like formal. Stop categorizing things. Stop using heavy handed theories. Study with the demon. Focus on reading the questions, understanding what they're asking you, picking answers that you feel good about. <laughs> it's so shocking to have to like, that's continual. That's all we do. That's all we do. That's a hundred percent of our advice right there. <laughs> like it makes perfect sense. You, you have to read it carefully so that you see how it makes perfect sense. We can help you a lot, make sense of it, come to class and you'll start to feel it for sure. You'll feel the click. Once you feel that click, it'll become addictive. You'll realize that the test makes perfect sense. Let go of the August LSAT. You're trying to force it in. It's too soon. You aren't, you know, like the odds of making it into the 170s by then are not great. Your odds of making it to the 170s eventually are really high, like really high. (laughs) I would think 170 something should be the goal. You think that 170 something should be the goal. Is that what you said? If you're going to have a goal, it should be 170 something. Yes, absolutely. With your GPA and your diagnostic score, I agree. I don't mind if Molly keeps her August Elsa sign up as a, you know, as an option. Well, she can't get a refund now anyway. Yeah, so keep it. And if you get into the one, if you get, if you're knocking on the door of 170 or break into the 170s, I'm okay with you taking it, but... You also do have this inclination to apply. So maybe it is something you need to like walk away from withdraw right now. So you're not tempted. But if you can produce the goods, if you can produce the score, then then there's no problem with applying this cycle. That's just our concern. We don't think you're going to apply with your best LSAT score on record. And you have the potential to get a really, really good score. You do. Sometimes people drink half the Kool-Aid. Like, it seems as if she understands that she needs to apply in the fall for the following yep. fall. Like, she's yep. she's shooting for August so she can apply in September, which is what we want. But the thing people miss is the first part of it, which is don't apply unless you have your very best LSAT on record. Yep. And it seems like Molly's going to skip that part, potentially. She She's thinking, well, I have to apply this fall, so... I got to do the best I can do between now and this fall. No, Molly, you have to do the best you can do, period. Then when it comes around to be fall again, then you apply to law school. Yep. There are orders of operations, right? In math. (laughs) Yeah. Multiply things first before you can add them together. You're breaking the rules. Yeah, <laughs> you're you're adding and then multiplying. And yeah. here she's breaking the rules. She's trying to reach the fall deadline rule. She's following that one, but violating a rule that comes well before it. Yeah. Do you if I was going to write a computer program, it would be like, mm-hmm. do you have your best LSAT score? 
Yes if or no, no. <laughs> go yeah. to one. Do you have your best LSAT score? <laughs> if no, go to one. Do you have your best LSAT score? If yes, is it fall? Yeah. If no, go to two. Is it fall? Yes. Okay, yeah, apply. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's apply real simple. Broadly. Just, <laughs> yeah. Are you applying to more than 10 schools? No. Apply. What more. are you doing? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> what are you doing with your life? Yeah. No. Um, Molly, uh, if if someone is pressuring you, uh, like especially your parents, mm-hmm. um, your parents don't understand the law school admissions game as well as your LSAT dads do. And um, <laughs> we're here to tell you that uh, you're going to be better off waiting until next fall if it means five or 10 or 15 more LSAT points. Mm-hmm. And if you, you know, if you push for this August exam and you get a 162, I think that might be the worst thing that ever happened to you because a 162 is going to get you some mediocre offers or, you know, might get you a full ride to an okay school. 162 and a 4.0. Mm-hmm. She gets a full ride to some okay school. Yeah. But this is a student who could go to Yale. Yeah. Harvard, Stanford. Yeah. Chicago. <laughs> UVA. I mean, mm-hmm. she like 4.0. All the doors are still open for you, Molly. You know, your folks, if it's your folks who are forcing you into this like rushed cycle. Yeah. They think that they're opening doors for you by pushing you in this cycle. But you very likely would be slamming the doors in your own face of the very best schools in the country. Yeah. uh, By rushing in with something in the 160s instead of getting the something in the 170s that we think you're totally capable of. Yeah. So, yeah, that's what I would say if Molly were coming to me asking me that question, which I guess she is. (laughs) Thanks for writing in. Thanks, Molly. Take a look at the uh, streak leaderboard on the demon. Okay. Yeah. Ooh, we got more pictures. It looks like some people are listening to us. Uh, they're they're fighting it out, man. At the top of the uh, top of the leaderboard. Yeah, I see some of these names. They just need to to drill today, and they'll come back. They'll come back from second place into first place. <laughs> yeah. Um, so right now we got Grant, Rebecca, Michael, and Garrett four way tie at the top. Although yep. it's Rebecca and Garrett because they have the pictures yep. in their profile. And then Grant and Michael are mm-hmm. below them mm-hmm. in the tie for first. <laughs> yeah. Um, bunch of familiar names. Uh, they're just lurking at 76, 77 and 76. That is amazing. So these people have been studying every day, 78 days in a row. That means they've done at least one LSAT problem. Wow. We have another leaderboard uh, for drilling accuracy. I should shout out um, Lewis K, who is number one at the top of the leaderboard for drilling Mm, accuracy. Yeah. Lewis has drilled uh, 33 questions today with 100% accuracy. Within the last 24 hours. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah. 33 questions in a row. Correct. Lewis. Good job. Yeah. And uh, Alexandra hot on Lewis's heels with 30 questions in a row with 100% accuracy and a cool profile picture of a, I believe, Bratz doll. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I think my niece was into those. For a while. <laughs> yeah. Okay, cool. Um, let's see. We got time for one more. Yeah. 
So this is from Ryan. Hi, hi, Ben and Nathan. I recently discovered your podcast and have enjoyed listening to your perspectives on the LSAT and applying to law school. I began studying for the LSAT about a month ago. While I did not take a diagnostic test, I now consistently average a 177 on practice tests with variations as low as 174 and as high as 180. Okay. Wow. You're in a great spot, Ryan. I usually take three to four practice tests a week, which I know is not normally recommended, but I think I could be justified in my case since I am currently studying for the LSAT full time and thus have the time to thoroughly blind review each exam. I hope you're just reviewing the ones that you were not confident with and the ones you got wrong. But yeah, I also don't have as much of a problem with this because Ryan is scoring so high. (laughs) Yeah, if you're you're only missing a four questions per test, <laughs> yeah, you know, you or can zero those. to yeah, you're missing zero to six questions per test, maybe. Yeah, I mean, sure. Then you could do a test. You know, if you had a few hours to study, you could do a test and review it every single day. I I would still see benefit in doing drilling and time sections. I don't know. Just shake it up, you know? Yeah. It's not our preference that you do that many full tests, but you are good enough at the test that doing full tests matters. I mean, that full tests make sense. You've got the time to review it. Also, it would be a bit of an, of an error, I think for, for Ryan to like only drill. That'd be, it'd be quite an error actually. No, no. Yeah. I'm all I'm saying. I actually don't mind this, this study regimen. I would just say, add in drilling too. shake it up like you know get that immediate feedback that immediate review do a time section i it sounds like ryan's just doing like full test full test full test full test maybe not but anyways ryan continues i am scheduled to take the official lsat in august and september taking it multiple times with the hope of giving myself the best chance at a good score good I also plan to apply as early as I can this fall with the highest LSAT score possible. My goal is a T14 school. Unfortunately, I opted for a difficult STEM major and have a very low GPA of 3.74. When I plug my GPA and potential LSAT scores into your scholarship estimator, very helpful by the way, thank you, I see that a one or two point increase in LSAT score can affect scholarships even at T14 schools. Just uh, so the listener knows, our our LSAT scholarship estimator is at lsatdemon.com forward slash scholarships. Yeah, excellent. As a result, if I happen to score at a lower end of my practice exam range, for example, 174 or 175, on the official LSAT in August and September, should I risk delaying my application so I can take the test again in October or November? If I apply in September with my scores from August, September, I will, will schools accept an update and consider my new LSAT if I retake the exam in October or November? Also, given my low GPA, I decided not to apply to schools like Yale and Stanford. What? Wow. What Sorry. is that GPA? 3.74. Yeah. What is that for Yale and Stanford? Well, it's below their it's below their median, which I think is the thing that really matters. Are they, is it is it below their 25, 25th percentile? Yeah, but even if it is, I'm not sure that it matters so much. I, I think mm. the medians are the things that they really care about. Because that's the thing that U.S. News is looking at. 
Yeah. And if you think that those schools aren't interested in STEM majors, you're totally wrong. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you show up with a killer LSAT, you know, your LSAT is above their median and your GPA is below their median. Mm. Well, they admit people (laughs) who are splitters like that. Your GPA doesn't. It's not like atrocious. 3.74 in STEM could be really good. And if you show up with a 178, it's like, hey, I'm above your median. I might be above your 75th. Hmm. Are you looking it up? Uh, What? For the 25th percentile? Yeah. yeah, it's 180. It's 3.81 at Stanford and 3.88 at uh, Yale. Those are medians? Those are no, those are the 25th percent. Those are 25th. OK, mm-hmm. yeah. So he's well, below okay. them both. But yeah. But still, they admit one quarter of their class with below that. I mean, the like the people who shouldn't apply are you're below on both. Mm-hmm. Below on both is like, well, then what are you bringing to the table? You're like clearly lowering the standards of that school. Now, don't get mad at me. There are exceptions, you know, one in a thousand or whatever, but maybe not one in a thousand, one in 500 is going to like get in through back doors. But the 499 who are walking in through the front door, literally half of them have an LSAT below the median and literally half of them have a GPA below the median. Mm-hmm. It's really rare that you have both, right? But one or the other is probably, well, it's certainly more common than having both above the median. Yeah. yeah. You know, <laughs> like you don't have to be above the median on both. You you can be a splitter. That is a thing. And you, I don't know, like I'm not telling you you're going to get into Yale and Stanford, but who do you think gets into Yale and Stanford? Well, you, <laughs> yeah, Ryan, you're pretty preemptively shutting the door, right? And Ryan even goes on, look at look at this. However, some of my friends that have gone through this process and are current 1Ls at YLS <laughs> encouraged me to apply there since I went to Yale for undergrad. <laughs> yeah, this is a Yale STEM major. Yeah. Yes, you should apply to Yale I think they're going to respect you your to GPA. <laughs> yes, they're going to look more closely at your transcripts because you went to actual Yale. Imagine a STEM major from like some, you know, no name college out in the middle of nowhere, right? Like you have a GPA that they are going to, yeah, be mildly concerned about, but they're going to take notice. Well, but are are they even going to be mildly concerned? I mean, they're going to be on the surface level concerned. Yeah. But but then when they they go, wait, this is a Yale undergrad. Oh, Oh, biochemical engineering. Huh. I wonder what the average GPA is for that program. Call up the dean. Yeah. What? The average GPA for that program is 3.6. Thank you. Click. This admit. is a diamond in the rod. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Take it. <laughs> Instant admit. Because you're going to have the LSAT that's going to make them notice you. Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay. So Ryan continues. Even if I scored a 180 on the LSAT, I can't imagine something like, quote, going to Yale, close quote, would matter at all. Uh, let alone come close to making up for the fact that I'm fathoms below their 25th percentile for GPA. Well, no, that's just what Nathan was arguing against. Yes, going to Yale could matter. (laughs) And it could matter a lot, actually. Should I even consider wasting my time applying? Yes, please consider it. 
I would greatly appreciate any thoughts or insights you might have on these questions. And I found all of your resources to be extremely helpful while studying for the LSAT. Thank you again. Okay. So going back to this timing question, one thing to point out, if you apply with a certain score, uh, if you apply with your August and September score, and then you retake the test in October or November, yes, you can update schools with your score, but if they've already made a decision on you, then that's not going to help. Right? They may have already decided to reject you. So really, for people who decide to do this, which isn't ideal, you're going to be applying to schools where your scores are already not a problem. Right. So, yes, you can apply to lower schools, but higher schools, you're going to want to wait and apply with that higher score. Or yeah. Some schools do really dumb things. Like I remember when I was at Hastings uh, as a 1L, um, UC, UC Hastings in San Francisco. I was there as a 1L and I was talking to one of the dudes in the admissions department and he told me a couple of dumb things that they did in, in their admissions process. But one of the dumb things that they did was they had a policy of evaluating applications as soon as they are received and disregarding that little tick box of I plan to take the LSAT in the future. Mm. They would not hold applications. They would just evaluate applications immediately. So at a school like that, you would never want to apply with an LSAT below their median mm -hmm. because the odds are real good of just getting auto rejected or auto waitlisted, mm -hmm. which you don't want. But yeah, if you're applying to Hastings with a 175, that is not something you need to worry about. Yeah. Or even some of these higher schools, right? You may be good enough to go ahead and apply, but then for a school where you're retaking the LSAT specifically for that school so you can become competitive at that school, uh, don't apply until you have your best score. But then you may not want to apply until the next cycle. It's... But these schools, that? you should look up what they actually do with their admissions. I mean, I think I, I believe that Yale doesn't even look at applications until the like. So spring. if that's the case, so. yeah, if, if you can apply to enough schools early, then great. Do that and then save these remaining applications for later as long as that's OK and it right. won't hurt your admissions at that school. Right. The schools where your intention is full ride or you would never even consider going there. I mean, for this applicant, you know, for Ryan, wash you. St. Louis, Missouri, mm -hmm. you're not going there unless you're going there for free. You're probably not going there at all, but you're going there for free. Mm -hmm. If you're going there, you can go ahead and apply with your 174 and your 3.74. Like they should give you, they should look at you and give you a full ride based on that would be my guess. Mm -hmm. You're going to, they're just certainly not going to deny you or waitlist yeah. you in September. And if you take it again in October, November and submit that score, I mean, you haven't hurt yourself at all. Yeah. You can be LSAT famous. Get on an upcoming show by emailing help at thinkinglsat.com, like all these folks did. Questions about the LSAT demon? You can email our best in the world customer service team, help at lsatdemon.com. Check out our other podcast, LSAT Demon Daily. That's uh, five, six days a week now. Mm -hmm. um, yep, coming out all the time, shorter episodes, but uh, every single day. That was episode 358 of the Thinking LSAT podcast. Thanks all y'all for listening. Nice knowing you. Don't pay for law school. <laughs> <laughs>